Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. I'll give you a minute to turn um, to that page in your Bibles, um, but also the verses will be posted um, in the slides as well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May God bless the reading of his word. Today, our um, sermon will be preached by Elder Chris, who is actually not here in this room. He'll be preaching remotely from home. Um, so in a moment, the video feed will switch to his computer. Chris, are you there? <laughs> Um, so if you're just tuning in, as, uh, as Natalie said earlier, as you can see, I am not at church, I am at home. And part of that is because I've been experiencing uh, some shortness of breath and coughing over the last couple weeks. And so even though I most likely don't have coronavirus, I have an abundance of caution and through the hard work of a lot of people who are helping with today's service, uh, I'm able to preach from home today. And so hopefully we can continue doing this uh, without any more interruptions. And hopefully this can be a reminder also for all of you uh, to continue to practice social distancing as we seek to stop the spread of this horrible disease. But even though we're social distancing, that doesn't mean we have to stop loving. That doesn't mean we have to stop serving one another uh, as we go through these trying times. And as the numbers of, of those infected with COVID-19 continue to increase now, uh, more than 120,000 last that I checked in this country alone, uh, these are trying times. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to compare what we're going through to some of the events that Dr. Sunquist shared last week. What we're going through doesn't compare to the Armenian genocide or the Holocaust that happened in the first part of the 20th century. What we're going through right now doesn't even compare to the Syrian refugee crisis that people are still going through today. Most of you who are listening right now and participating in this service have food to eat. You're not starving. Most of you have access to clean water. And yet, these are still trying times. As Pastor Jen shared earlier, some of you have, have COVID-19 or suspect you have COVID-19 or have friends or family or close loved ones who might be suffering and being sick. Some of you are a part of the 3.3 million this past week who lost their jobs and had to file for unemployment and who are wondering if you're gonna be able to make ends meet. Or some of you are like Terry who shared last week 
that he's unable to mourn in person with close friends and family the death of a loved one because of what's happened and because of the situation that we're in with the pandemic. And as you guys just uh, shared in the poll, more than 80% of you have been affected in some way physically, mentally, or spiritually by the fact that we're in this situation where we all have to kind of almost shelter in place, even though Massachusetts isn't calling it shelter in place. These are trying times. And so in the midst of trial, when we turn to the Bible, what we see consistently in the message of the Bible is that Christians are called to endure trials with joy. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, We rejoice in our sufferings. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks about how he's learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance in the same context that he's exhorting the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. And in our passage today, we see how Peter is commending his audience for rejoicing while they are experiencing trials. Now, Peter was writing to the church in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. He was writing to scattering. It wasn't a specific church he was writing to, but a broad sweep of Christians who were scattered around Asia Minor. And these Christians were undergoing persecution. Now, it wasn't an official persecution, you know, uh, directed from the top down by the central Roman government. But it was an ad hoc persecution, a persecution that they faced from their neighbors, a persecution that they faced from local governments, a persecution that they were experiencing likely because their behavior and their values didn't conform to the social norms and expectations of that time. And so in the midst of this persecution, Peter writes that Christians are called to rejoice in trials. How can we rejoice in the midst of trials? Why can we rejoice in the midst of suffering? As all of us are going through this COVID-19 pandemic, um, as we deal with uh, different forms of fear, anxiety, isolation, perhaps even depression, uh, some of the uh, cabin fever or boredom, <clears throat> some of the effects that Pastor Jen was talking about earlier, where are we able to find joy? As we explore our passage a little bit more, we'll see that as Christians, we endure trials with joy through faith. So we're going to start by examining how trials can influence faith itself. In verse 7 of our text, it says, Faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Peter is comparing trials with the process of refining gold. It reminds me of a song that some of you who are older, uh, a song that we used to sing all the time uh, during Sunday worship called Refiner's Fire. Uh, the lyrics went, Purify my heart, let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart, let me be as gold pure gold. Now I wonder, as we sing those lyrics, how well we under actually understood 
what that process of refining gold looked like. So back during the times of the Roman Empire, when they sought to refine gold, what they would do was they would take fire to the gold, as the song Refiner's Fire would imply, and they would melt the gold down. And when the gold became molten, when it was totally liquid, because gold tends to be heavier than all the impurities of the minerals and other metals that might uh, get mixed in with the gold, all those impurities would tend to rise to the top. You know, just, just like if, you know, if, if you're playing with water, things that are heavier than water sink to the bottom and things that are lighter than water float. So all those impurities would float to the top when that gold became liquid. And so the person who was doing the refining, after they melted down the gold, they would just skim off the top. They would skim off that dross, skim off those impurities. And in that way, that gold would become more pure. You see, fire was an integral part of the process of making gold pure. You had to have fire to melt down that gold. You had to have fire to break down that gold so that the impurities could be separated from what was pure. Fire was needed to break down. And so if we go back and think about those times when we were singing Refiner's Fire, I wonder if we realized that what we were really singing was that we were asking God to bring the fire of trials to test our hearts, that we're asking God to bring the difficulties and the fires of trials to test our hearts, to test our character, to test who we are so that we could be broken down and so that the impurities of our faith could be removed in order for our hearts to become more pure, in order for our hearts to become more fully committed in our faith to following God. You see, this sermon series, we've been talking about how to get unstuck in our spiritual walks. And so as we're walking along closer to Christ, sometimes we get stuck in a little divot or a hole. And trials can serve as a mountain that raises us up out of that divot, out of that hole. And so then the question becomes, how do we respond to those trials? When the mountain raises us up, when the mountain of trials raises us up, we can fall back away from God, or we can fall towards God. So let's take this current crisis for, as an example. As you consider this crisis, ask yourselves the question, how has this crisis shown you more about what you put your trust in? Because you see, if you put your trust in your 401k savings or your IRA savings, your retirement savings, you surely were shaken when the stock market dropped by almost 40% over the course of the last month. If you, put your, if you put your faith, if you put your trust in your own physical health and the ability of doctors and medical technology to be able to, to keep us healthy, then surely there is great fear as you see that the potential, as you see what's happening in Italy, as you see how the hospitals might be overwhelmed, as you see, as you're faced with, as we are all faced with our own mortality in the face of this disease. Or if you place your trust in your productivity, and if you have kids at home, as you've been forced to walk from home, or sorry, as you've been forced to work from home, 
then perhaps your, your faith in yourself and your ability to be productive has been tested as you've been forced to, to manage your children, make and help homeschool them as you've been trying to do your own work at the same time. You see, crises cause us to examine ourselves and crises reveal where we truly put our trust, where we truly put uh, our faith in. And so as those things that we actually lean on, even though we don't want to lean on them, as those things that we actually lean on crumble, we're forced in some ways to throw ourselves on the mercy of God. When those things that we trust in, those support systems, those foundations fall apart, we're forced to come before God, throw ourselves down before him at his feet. We're forced to acknowledge and to, and to, to acknowledge his sovereignty as our only hope because those things that we placed our hope in have shown themselves to be shaky. And so during those times of crisis, trials refine our faith, just like gold can be refined. Trials show us how much we are not trusting in God and trials push us Trials challenge us to look towards the God, the creator who created all things, the creator who sustains all things, the creator who in his wisdom somehow still allows brokenness to happen for, for whatever reason, as we talked about previously in uh, the sermon series on Habakkuk, but the creator who we still profess as sovereign to put our hope in him, trusting that in the midst of all this trial, in the midst of all this suffering, somehow he is making all things work for the good of those who love him. Hebrews 12 likens some trials that we face to discipline. In verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12, uh, it says, All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I, I was a, <laughs> I, I'm an often on runner sometimes, and so uh, when I the reason I really enjoy running, the Miniman Trail runs right by our house. And so when I am running, the reason I do it, one of the reasons I do it besides the enjoyment is because I know running staves off heart disease. Running's good for me. It's good for my physical health. And plus on top of that, when I run, I tend to have, when I'm running regularly, I tend to have a lot more energy uh, during the day. But as those of you who run or exercise know, whenever you run, there's always that moment when your body is just screaming for you to stop, your muscles are aching, or your, heart, your lungs are hurting, and your brain's just saying, just take a break, just stop. And yet, if I keep a big picture of you, if I understand that the pain that I'm going through is for my physical health, the pain that I'm going through is so that I can have more energy during the day, then I can endure that pain as I run with joy. I can actually enjoy that pain because I know that what I'm doing is for my greater good. In the same way, if we can understand that when we endure trials, that trials are refining our faith, then we can endure those trials with joy through faith that God is working in us. So we endure trials with joy through faith because trials refine our faith. But trials do more than just refine our faith. We find in our text that trials also prove out our faith. Now, if you're like me, I grew up in the church, and I know not all of you did, but for those of us who grew up in the church, we grew up wondering whether our faith is genuine. 
when I left for college, even though I had, you know, grown up going to Sunday school, grown up going to Wana, did Bible quizzing, you know, went on short-term missions trip, trips to, to do street evangelism in New York City, I went to college wondering about my faith. I wasn't wondering, I, I wasn't questioning my faith, but I was wondering whether my faith was real. I was wondering whether my faith was based on my parents' faith or my own. Or if you became a Christian later in life, perhaps you became a Christian through the influence of friends or through a really significant life event that happened. Perhaps you sometimes wonder whether your faith is based more on the foundation of your friends or that event, the subjective experience of, of those events, rather than the true foundation, the true secure foundation of Christ. And so in our passage, we see that faith trials can assure us that our faith is genuine. It's like taking a mock SAT before taking the real thing. When you take the mock SAT, you can be much more assured that you're, uh, you're equipped to take the real thing. Or some of you guys know I work for Bose. And before we put out any speakers on the, uh, out into, the, into products, we'll, we'll take a, you know, multiple samples of those speakers and run them at maximum volume for thousands and thousands of hours to make sure that those speakers are, are sturdy. And those stress tests that we place on those speakers give the company more confidence that those speakers will survive in the real world. In verse 8 we, of our passage, we read, Though you have not seen him, you love him. When we go through trials, and when we see during those trials that we are loving Jesus more, even though we can't see him, we can rejoice and give glory to God because we know that there's no way that our love for Jesus is coming from ourselves, especially during those moments. When we see our love for Jesus growing, we can give, rejoice and give glory to God because we see how God is working in us, and we see how God is growing in us that love for Jesus in the midst of difficulty in the midst of that darkness, how God is putting that light of love in us in, in the midst of that. And so trials reassure us that our faith is genuine. But more than that, from our passage, we see that we can have joy in the midst of trials because trials run their course. And tri trials are temporary, but the inheritance that we have through faith is eternal. In verses three through five, we read, According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We can have joy, joy in trials because we have a living hope, a hope that is true, a hope that is alive because Jesus Christ is alive. We have an inheritance that has been kept in heaven, un, undefiled, pure, which we will fully realize at the day when Jesus comes again. A few years ago, I was watching the movie Gravity on the Plane, and it's a really stressful movie. It's a movie where Sandra Bullock is stuck in space, and there's constantly the threat that she's going to die in this vacuum, cold uh, place where it's completely silent. Um, she's stuck there. And throughout the whole movie, she's struggling to get back to Earth, back to the gravity of Earth on her own. And it's pretty tense. It's pretty scary. And yet, as I watched that movie, I could watch it with some semblance of peace. You know why? Because it's a Hollywood movie. Because I know that in the end, 
she's going to survive, that Sandra Bullock's character is going to make it back to Earth. And so even in the midst of that stress of seeing her go through all these difficulties, near-death experiences, I know that she's going to live. And because of that, I can watch that movie with peace. And in the same way, we can endure trials because we know we have an inheritance that is far greater than what we are experiencing now in life. And Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The same glory that Peter talks about in our passage today. In the midst of the deepest darkness that we might experience, or in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of isolation, depression, fear, and anxiety, we have the hope of future glory. A glory that we will one day fully experience in heaven. And yet, a glory that we can even have a glimpse of as we experience the presence of God today. And so my encouragement for you uh, this morning, brothers and sisters, is to think about all those different ways in which we have been talking about getting unstuck spiritually. The Word of God, prayer, worship, Sabbath. As we practice those things, we practice the presence of God. As we practice those things, we practice and grow our faith in God. And in the midst of those trials, as we cling to that hope, as we cling to the hope that we find in scripture, as we cling to the hope that we find in prayer, as we cling to the hope that we find in worship and in Sabbath, we can endure trials with joy through faith. Now, I'm not saying that we go looking for trials, but we live in a broken world and trials will come to us. And I, I'll confess to you that in the midst of this pandemic, I have fear, I have anxiety. I have fear and anxiety for my family. I have fear and anxiety for friends, especially for those family and friends who are more vulnerable. And yet God has called me to look towards him, to have a vision of who he is. The Catholic theologian Henry Nouwen once wrote, suffering is a period in your life in which true faith can emerge, a naked faith, a faith that comes to life in the midst of great pain. The grain indeed has to die in order to bear fruit. And when you dare to stand in your suffering, your life will bear fruit in ways that are far beyond your own predications or understanding. In the midst of trials, we have no choice but to throw ourselves on the mercy and grace of God. In the midst of trials, we realize how little control we have over ourselves and our own lives. In the midst of trials, we truly understand what it means that we are poor in spirit. We are truly humbled before God. And what did Jesus say about those who are poor in spirit? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if during trials, like Paul, we can be convinced that neither life nor death nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, then we can endure trials with joy. And as we endure those trials, we will remember what Jesus said to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we come before God 
and we remember that he is the sovereign God over all things. And that in life or death, he holds us in his hands. And that whether life or death, whether sickness or health, the safest, most secure place we can be is with him. And we trust that our souls are in his protection. Let us pray. Father God, there is so much broken in the world and there's so much that we face on this earth. And yet we recognize that it is nothing that you didn't have to face yourself. And when you face those trials, Lord, when you, the author and perfecter of our faith, face those trials, for the joy set before you, for the joy that you foresaw, you endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of God. And so, God, help us to have this vision of who you are. Help us to have a vision of Christ glorified. And help us in that vision to know your presence as we go through these sufferings, as we suffer through isolation, as we suffer through depression, as we suffer through cabin fever, as we suffer through sickness, as we suffer through the loss of loved ones. And in the midst of these trials, Lord, help us to have this heavenward vision that even in the present life, we might experience uh, just a glimpse of that glory that can carry us forward until that day that we experience it most fully. God, we are in your hands. We throw yourselves on your mercy and pray that you would carry us forward until the end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.